Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be talking about growing up open theist. I grew up an open theist, had a lot of different experiences with different churches. I'm just going to talk a little bit about how I dealt with those experiences and even getting kicked out of various churches. Myself, I've probably experienced the full gamut of different church experiences. I started out in Open Theist Church. I started out in Derby Bible Church and Grace Family Fellowship. These were Open Theistic churches in Colorado. And this is before fifth grade even. I was homeschooled. All my friends were Open Theists. But then we moved to South Dakota. And we started attending a Calvinist church with Arminian-type leanings. And our political landscape kind of changed a little bit. Not, now we were presented with friends who didn't necessarily believe the same things we did. They weren't open theists. And our conversations and our interactions were a little bit weird. They weren't our core friends, our friend group that we had in Colorado. And they never would be while we were in South Dakota. We just didn't click with the kids in our youth group. And we were seen almost as the outsiders when it came to that church. It was a good church, and we liked the pastor a lot, but we can never hope to be any integral part of the church, any position of leadership. And it could be because of my family's generally poor social skills. Well, not only were we homeschooled and we had awkward interactions with just people in general, especially when we started going to public school, but as Fishers, that, that's my family name, Fisher, we've always been generally a little bit caustic and our tempers have been known to flare from time to time. And so that might also be a prohibiting factor on us making friends. I'm not saying it's all due to open theism or anything like that. So high school was a little rough. Really, the friends that we had are the friends that we made outside the church. We didn't fit in and they just never clicked. And it's partly to do with theology. I remember being a waiter at Perkins and a girl from youth group would come in and she'd sit at her table with her friends. And while serving tables, I'd have a theological debate or discussion with her and her friends. She's the type that always would turn to, oh, you're trying to put God in a box. And so I grew up with a lot of these types of cliche arguments, hearing them over and over again. And after a while, you learn to predict what they're going to say. You know how to respond to it almost instantly. Just the exposure to the different types of arguments, it really does someone good. It really teaches them to refine what they believe, why they believe it, understand what other people believe, and how other people operate and think. So that's the good thing about growing up in this hostile environment where everyone's trying to debate you, everyone's trying to put your opinion down, everyone's trying to tear your ideas down, you really have to build it on solid ground and know how to defend it. It'd often be the case that it'd be just me and I'd be surrounded by, you know, four, five, six people, and all those people would be trying to debate me at the very same time. I went to Summit Ministries in Colorado. It's this uh, Bible boot camp type of deal. And I remember one experience in particular. I was on this bus. We're going on this trip to this uh, this almost filled trip to this large field. And we're on this bus and I'm surrounded by six or seven people and they're almost e all yelling at me. They're all yelling out all their points at the same time and I'm trying to respond to each of them in turn. 
And so you have to deal with this, these situations and it's when it, where it's you against the world. You need to debate everyone at the same time. They have each other to feed off of. They all are vying for your attention. And you need to put up a strong defense against this onslaught. I think I did a pretty decent job at the time. You know, I was still young. And it's always the situation is, I wish I knew then what I knew now. The amount of knowledge in my head now is just, it's just not even comparable. If someone wants to live as a non-confrontational open theist, you'll probably fare a lot better than I did if you avoid theological discussions. But I was the type to go to the Bible studies to raise objections and to proffer points, and that stuck with me my entire life. In South Dakota, we did attend the church youth group. I'm not exactly sure why we did it, maybe just to talk to other people, but we didn't have any real close friends in this youth group. And often when they talked about anything of substance, I mean, a lot of times they'd talk about just just nonsense, normal youth group type stuff. But when they did talk about things of substance, it was often pretty bad theology. I remember one sermon our youth pastor had took over for our main pastor. Our main pastor was out of town, and he was attending a funeral of a friend pastor of his. And so the youth group pastor, he stood up, and he's the guest pastor or whatnot, and he literally started this sermon by saying that he had prepared this sermon and wanted to have given this sermon for some time, and God finally gave him the opportunity. His claim was basically that God killed off this very godly pastor, friend of our, our main pastor, in order that he could preach this sermon. And the sermon was this lame PowerPoint with very trivial, glancing type of points. And I almost uh, like choked when I heard him say that. Like, Did he really say what I thought he just said, that God killed off this pastor so that he could teach this sermon? This terrible sermon it turned out to be. I wish I grabbed that recording. That was kind of before I started documenting these types of things. But it was pretty funny. College went a lot better for me. I made a group of pretty strong Christian friends. And we sometimes talked theology. They knew I was open theist. And, and there was a lot more understanding, a little bit more debate in college. And the college youth groups, the college Bible studies, they were a lot better quality. Not my campus crusade time. That was pretty much fluff, and that's just somewhere you go to meet girls. That's just what you do. You just go try to find a Christian wife in college. That's what college is for. You find the wife, so you don't have to try to find a wife at the bar scene after college, after all the good ones are taken. So that's what Campus Crusade is used for. But I attended a Bible study that was frequented by med school students, and this was a pretty good group of individuals who really cared about understanding the Bible and we had the opportunity to go over Job. And you don't go to a Bible study and all of a sudden just blurt out, I am an open theist, and then everyone turns and hates you. You, you just don't lead with that. And you just need to point it out subtly. And this one time I was talking to this girl about Job. And I pointed out that Job, the entire point of Job, is a wager between God and Satan about the outcome of a future event. And she said, well, that would mean that God doesn't know the future. And I did this little uh, hand gesture, and I touched my nose. You got it right on the nose. You are correct. The author of Job didn't at all think that God knew the future, just not part of the text. 
course, I didn't verbalize all of that. I just did my hand signal. I kind of just blew her mind, just seeing the look on her face. But the best part of this story is she came to the conclusion herself. And just the fact that someone believes her conclusion from the text that she wanted to discount just because her conclusion from the text didn't fit her preconceived theology, you know, that's priceless. But my college time was pretty good. I like to describe myself as the most hated person on campus, and people who went to college with me will confirm that is the case. But I wasn't hated for being an open theist. I was hated for being a Christian because there's a lot of leftists around college campus, and I brought anti-abortion advocacy groups to the college campus, and I campaigned in support of Referred Law 6 and banning abortion in South Dakota, and I wrote political articles for the newspaper. People just hated me, and I dealt with a lot of hatred from just those types of things, and not because of open theism. One of my better-received college articles was about Hurricane Katrina, and Christians were going around saying Hurricane Katrina is God's judgment on the South for, you know, Mardi Gras or homosexual activity or something like that. And I said, no, it's not. Sometimes things just happen. Like Jesus said, the Tower of Siloam and Caesar killing people on their way to their sacrifices. Sometimes things just happen. And Katrina, Katrina did a lot of damage to the U.S., a lot of property damage, but it didn't really kill very many people. And so if it was God's judgment, it's a pretty lame judgment, wouldn't you think? God, God's just becoming more incompetent over time with his judgments. That's the conclusion you have to come to because hurricanes in previous generations and previous centuries would kill just like entire cities. And now they kill just a handful of people. In college, it's a lot easier to be open theists because most people aren't necessarily Christians and the Christians that do exist more bond together and do more just normal get-together social type of things. You are also exposed to a wider variety of Christian beliefs. In high school, my mind was blown when I first encountered Charismatics. I was at this youth retreat this uh, down in Missouri, I believe it was. And all of a sudden, people just start speaking in tongues all around me. I thought everyone had lost their minds. And it turns out in college, I spent like maybe half my college career going to an Assemblies of God church. I did start off going to a Baptist church, but the youth pastor there, he and I debated open theism quite often. He was a hardcore type Calvinist. And I tried to go on this youth mission, this youth uh, trip down to Peru, and he sent the people this bad review of me and got my trip canceled. He got the people to reject me from going on this missions trip. And so that was pretty souring. It showed me just the vileness in human nature. This guy pretended to be my friend. He pretended to care about talking about the Bible. He pretended he, he gave me a false front and then he stabs me in the back without any mention to me about what he's doing and why. They're just sick people out there. At least have the decency before I start, you know, fundraising, before I start getting all my plans together, before I start planning on taking this trip. At least have the decency to say, 
I'm not recommending you, and I'm recommending to these people that they not take you on this mission strip. Ha- at least have that decency, but he didn't. This is just a part of aging, part of growing up. You learn that there's these people out there that will do that. This probably helped expose me to reading people, people who are putting on false fronts, people who are giving off little cues. He'd be interested in having discussions, but he'd never, ever give an inch on any of his beliefs, ever, never admitting things or possibilities. And he used a lot of like demeaning language and demeaning arguments. And that's a theme among intellectually dishonest people. I was talking to one, it was maybe a Calvinist or an Arminian, and I was talking about the failed prophecy of Tyr. And he said, what king was that? Okay, does it matter what king it was? If I don't know what king it was, does that make my argument invalid? And Nebuchadnezzar was on the back of my mind, but I didn't say it. Because, you know, he he put that seed of doubt in my mind, and the, and the argument is basically just trying to belittle or condescend or patronize someone. And here's my suggestion to open theists. Interact with people. Talk to people. Figure out how they operate, how they think. Every little bit is experience. Even if a debate goes bad, you still bring away personal growth from that. You could analyze who said what, when they said that, how you should have responded, And that will teach you for future experiences how to respond to similar situations. I've been kicked out of two churches in my life. And one time that I was kicked out, I was not prepared at all for the getting kicked out. And the second time, I was super prepared. So let's start with our first instance. I lived in Portland for about six months and I was trying to find a solid church. I I visited basically 20 different churches and trying to sample them to figure out which one was the best. And it's pretty much a wasteland out in Portland, Vancouver type of area for solid churches. But I found a church that I really did like. And after the sermon, I'm sitting there talking to one of the individuals, trying to figure out what they believe about various things. And the topic came up, salvation by faith alone. And I started to ask if they were dispensationalists. And pretty soon, you know, standard thing in my life, I'm surrounded by five or six guys. And we're debating, discussing, and the pastor comes over and joins as well. And we're sitting here debating dispensationalism. What do I know about dispensationalism? Sure, I've been taught it my entire life. I've been taught, you know, just the basic concepts. But I've never had a discussion with someone or a debate with someone about it because no one cares about dispensationalism versus covenant theology. It, most Christians, you know, they, their eyes will glaze over. And so I'm finally in this situation that I have zero experience handling. And I have to try to formulate in my head what I believe and why I believe it. And it came into perspective that I just didn't even have my timeline put together. And after this little debate, and I don't think I did very well. I don't think they had very, very solid points. But after the debate, I went home and I really had to study my view because all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, my viewpoint, uh, what I believe, it actually mattered. It actually had some sort of weight and effect on my life. This experience actually really helped me because I went home and I studied and I figured out 
what was going on in Acts, especially figuring out the time alignment of events. And the next time I engaged in a debate about dispensationalism, I pretty much mopped the floor with the guy. So people could look at my articles on Acts 15 on reality is not optional. And these articles were spawned from both of these events. And so you got the article, what did Jesus preach the, after he rose from the dead? He had this period of time, about a month worth of time, preaching something. And then I discuss what he did preach. Then I have a series of basic reading comprehension questions on Acts 15. And another article talks about who were these false brethren in Acts 15. So use everything in your life to your own advantage. Use it all as experience. Use it all as practice. Use it to grow as a person. Grow your knowledge base. Grow how you act, how you respond, and what you understand about other people. Because everything is useful, even if things go bad. This was my mentality when I got kicked out of my second church. This time, I saw it coming. We started going to this church, and I told my wife the second day that we were there, I said, we are going to be kicked out of this church. I just knew it, just because of the mentality of the church, and they considered themselves very doctrinal. It's actually a very cult-like setting, and a lot of people had been kicked out of this church previously, because anyone who didn't agree with the pastor, and it was like a cult of personality thing going, anyone who didn't agree with the pastor was eventually asked to leave. And you could see pretty quickly that they consider themselves strong doctrinally, so they're not going to tolerate any open theists for very long. So I didn't actually talk to anyone in the church about open theism for the entirety of the time that I was there. Very early on in our time at this church, we did have a pastoral visit where the pastor and his associate came to my house to talk about dispensationalism. It looks like all my study had paid off, and it really did. And the discussion, I don't think, went very well for them. They got really mad that I had a laptop. And laptops are amazing pieces of technology because you could word search, you could text search, you could highlight stuff. You can have things ready to go. And he got really frustrated because he's old school and he just wanted to have a discussion without electronics involved. That way, you know, then the debate, the discussion comes down to what you could query out of your own mind rather than quickly query in searches. So this discussion was also incredibly useful to me because I learned after that debate, they were spreading false rumors, false accounts of what happened during the debate. And so what this told me is these people are fundamentally dishonest or they just have a warped perspective. And so that told me anytime I have a discussion with these people, I need it recorded. I need a recording going because they are going to go around and spread a false account of what happened. It's one that makes them, portrays them in a better light. Again, Technology is amazing. Technology is hated by the people who don't like their actions being recorded. They don't like being taken into account. They don't like the free flow of information. They want censorship. They, they don't like technology because technology undermines all of that. They can't do what they want to do and get away with their little things. Act your life. Live your life like everything's being recorded. And you shouldn't have anything to worry about. And that's another thing. 
If I'm wasting my time debating these dishonest people, I might as well have a recording for my own records that I could query in future instances when I need to refer back to my experiences. So everything in life is useful. And what this taught me is that the next time I talk to these people, I definitely need a recording of this instance. So what happened next is they were cued into the fact that I had a blog because I sent them a paper that I wrote and all they had to do was do some very basic searches and they're able to find my blog. And pretty quickly I picked up that this church, this pastor, his associate, they were reading my blog on a regular basis. And this was reality is not optional. This was before God is open was founded, was established. So they kept making references to my blog, and in very, very obvious ways. The funniest of which was uh, the pastor used this very bogus statistic, and I just made a very mild-mannered article about false statistics. And the pastor, the very next Sunday, went on like maybe a 10-minute rant about people calling out their statistics publicly while not talking to them in private about it. It, it was it was just insane. It was crazy. This is the mentality of that church. Another really funny time is when I wrote an article about God's omnipresence. That's just not a feature that's found in Jewish theology. It's, it's not something that's championed, and it's not something that is held to whatever standard that modern Christians hold that to. And so I wrote an article about that. And in his very next sermon, he's he's in the book of Luke. And does Luke anywhere, does anyone know of anywhere in Luke that advocates omnipresence? And nothing's coming to mind. Okay, so he's in the middle of talking about Jesus. And then he throws in, he, he runs his sermons based off PowerPoints. And he throws in this random slide on omnipresence. And it's just like, it's, you're going through Luke, uh, like verse by verse, passage by passage, and then there's this random slide on omnipresence. What are you doing? Are, are you, yeah, it just blows the mind. Other things that were pretty funny, he was always passive aggressive. So like one day we came into a Wednesday night service and it was a little bit late and we had just brought the boys back from their baseball practice. They still had their baseball uniforms on, they were wearing their ba- baseball caps and we were in the church, and my boys still had their baseball hats on. And my wife's like, should we remove them? I'm like, no, that's fine. We don't need to remove our hats. It's, that's an American tradition. That's an American idea that removing your hat in a public building is a sign of respect. And it wasn't a Jewish idea. And the Jews would often pray with their heads covered. So I'm like, no, that's fine. We'll do that. And so he's up there giving the sermon. And we're sitting in back. And the boys have their hats on. And he's he finishes his prayer our hats off to you, Lord. Our hats off to you. He's never used the phrase before. I've never heard it before. And I had been going there maybe like a year worth of Sunday and Wednesday services. And it's like, okay, that's a little passive aggressive and ridiculous. And we like this church because a lot of these families at this church had large families. And so it was a very welcoming church to large families. I had four kids at the time. I now have five kids. But a lot of the same complaints were circling around the church that the pastor's almost unapproachable. Some people, they really adored him. You know, they thought he was this theological genius. But other people talked about their dealings with him and how they couldn't approach him over any issues just because of his demeanor. And that seems pretty accurate. 
So one person suggested that I reach out and ask some questions and start a dialogue. I tried to be a little bit more accommodating to this guy's mentality. So I tried to do that through softball questions. There was a sermon where he said that Herod was not a Jew. And I had not known that, so I mentioned to him after the service, I was like, hey, is that accurate? And he said, look it up. Okay, well, that doesn't really address anything that I'm talking about. You don't say, oh, I found when I was studying, this is the case, and this person claimed that. So I did look it up, and guess what? Does it turn out that the pastor was even right by claiming that Herod wasn't a Jew? No, his mother was a Jew, his critics claimed he wasn't an actual Jew, but he claimed to be a Jew. It's not at all settled, and the pastor's demeaning, look it up, it was just... Yeah, it's just uncalled for and just part of his crazy mentality. So I sent another question in via email, and I got this trite response saying, we need to see you. We need to talk. And that was my tip-off. I said, okay, this is the end. This is when they are going to kick me out of the church. And so I need to prepare myself. And I had an inspection coming up at work, and so I couldn't go in right away. So I had plenty of nights where... I, I had sleepless nights. I'm not a very adversarial guy. So when I get into conversations that are threatening or when I give public speeches that might not be taken well, you know, my heart rate goes up and, and I get all nervous. And even if my I know my material very well, I just, just the constant, the people judging me and stuff like that, it, it really gets to me. And I need to really put myself in the right state of mind. So I did have plenty of sleepless nights thinking about the situation. I tried to think, you know, what are they going to say? How am I going to respond? What's my demeanor going to be? How am I going to try to focus the conversation? And someone who's not good with adversarial situations really needs to do that. They need to play out the situation in their mind and they need to play it out realistically. What can be expected? What is the person's agenda who is who you're talking to? Their agenda if they're trying to kick you out of the church, their agenda is going to be trying to make you slip up or try to humiliate you or put you in this awkward situation. They, they don't want a resolution. They don't want to necessarily debate the facts. And if you know that you have truth on your side, that's your talking points. That's what you want to stick to. If you're getting kicked out anyways, you might as well have them and have them on record saying things and not being able to defend their position. So if you're getting kicked out of church, my suggestion is that you record the conversation. You not you need to check your state laws to make sure that one-sided tape recording of conversations is legal. It's legal in most states, maybe not like the New York, but in my state it was. And then you need to know what your talking points are, what your agenda is. You need them on record, not being able to defend their positions from the Bible. You need on record your position, biblically stated, and them not being able to counter your arguments. And then you need on record them kicking you out for holding biblical beliefs that they cannot refute. It is gold all around. And of course, your agenda is going to be based on their agenda. If their agenda is just to test the waters to see what you believe, you need to present a good advocacy of why you believe what you believe and why it's not a threat to them. But if their agenda is to kick you out of the church, you might want to take a different approach. You might want to get them 
knowingly kicking you out of the church for believing the Bible. You know, that's that's a funny reason to be kicked out of the church for defending a biblical view that they can't refute. Remember, everything in life is useful. Everything in life is a learning experience. Don't let anything go to waste. The worst thing you could do is just accept defeat, accept humiliation, and not use the situation to your advantage. But if, if you're the type and you're like me and confrontational situations really get your heart right up, I can't stress enough that running through the scenarios in your head before you arrive, running through the agendas of the various parties and the talking points and how you're going to handle the situation and how you're going to respond to their questions and what line of questioning they are going to be asking and how to refocus the conversation into your agenda. Run through those scenarios in your head so that you are prepared, so that you are almost instinctively respond the way that you've played out in your head already. And that will get your heart rate down. That will get your mind off of, you know, any fears or insecurities that you have. And you're going into a conversation with experience. And and that's what you want in these situations. Experience is what builds confidence. Getting kicked out of a church is not the worst thing in the world. There's other churches out there. There's other churches that are rational and other churches that are willing to listen to alternative viewpoints. So don't take it personally. Life goes on. And if anything else, the Internet's an amazing place for making the world a smaller place. It unites people of various ideological backgrounds, of various locations in, in the same place. Open theists, although a minority in the Christian sphere, have hubs of internet activity where they could confide in each other and talk to each other and and really have communion with other fellow believers uh, apart from these churches who just want to exclude everyone who might show a doctrine that might undermine the pastor. In my conversations recorded, my getting kicked out of the church, If uh, people want, I will link to that in the show description and the show notes. And I think it went fairly well for me. There's a few improvements I would have taken. And the aftermath, the aftermath emails are pretty funny as well, where I challenge the pastor on his beliefs. And then I offer the guy money to debate. I offer him $300 for a debate. And he just didn't want to debate because he's an intellectually dishonest person and he can't defend his views. But life is good now. I'm going to a church that uh, is a vineyard church, and they are kingdom theology-based, which is very good. And it's a very welcome and refreshing perspective, people who actually preach biblical truths. But I'm in a good place currently. I have my five children and me. And, and even if the whole world was against us, we'd have each other. We'd have our core family union. And, and that's all you need in this world, really. A couple of inspirational Bible quotes. You know, I don't often do inspirational Bible verses. But Psalms 26.11, But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me. Joshua 24.15, Choose for yourself this day who you will serve. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So if you have any questions or comments on this podcast, feel free to put that on the God is Open webpage or feel free to put that on the Facebook companion page, God is Open. Thank you for listening.